and welcome to another podcast in the series CEFR CEFA Conversations hosted by Quality and Qualifications Island. Today our focus is on the CEFA, the CFR, and its impact on quality assurance. And I'm delighted to welcome Ludka Kotarska to have a conversation with me. Ludka, as many as you may know, is the Director of Accreditation and Consultancies for Equals. Um, Equals is the Evaluation and Accreditation of Quality Language Services, a global quality assurance accreditation organisation for language education providers. And its mission is to foster excellence in language education across the world by providing leadership, guidance and support to governments, teaching institutions and individuals. So welcome to the podcast, Ludke. And um, I guess we could uh, we could start with asking you what contribution you think the common European framework has made in terms of the quality assurance of language education. Hello, Sue. Hello, everyone. Thank you very much for inviting me to be part of the project. Uh, it is my pleasure to be with here this morning. Uh, to answer your question, I would say in a nutshell, significant, but it's been evolution rather than revolution. This said, when we look back at the impact of the CFR on where we are in terms of language education, I think it's been quite a revolution because uh, what it did to us, it just made us reconsider, re rethink um, the what, the content of programs, curricula, syllabi, the why, why we teach the content we teach, what we want our students, our learners to achieve, and how, how it filters through to the classroom, uh, and how we measure students' uh, progress, achievement, and exit uh, linguistic proficiency. I think it triggered off, um, a shift from what we used to know as grammatical syllabi to the notion of um, concepts of notions, uh, functions, the movement from teacher-centered and teaching objectives to learner-centered and learning objectives. We still have a long way to go and it's quite interesting uh, that recently we've been as equals approached by a number of organizations which requested consultancy and training in the adoption of CFR in course design and assessment and then later how it is implemented in, in, in the classroom. And if we look at CFR in relation to quality assurance, I think it's important to articulate that quality assurance, it's not just quality control, that it is about facilitating um, ongoing uh, institutional development for the benefits of all uh, shareholders. So if the um, if the, the most significant, especially at the initial stage, contribution of the CFR to the whole industry, the sector was the shift from the teacher to the learner, then it's also embedded in our approach to quality assurance. And in this way, I think it's been, you know, quite a significant contribution, a beginning of a long um, road towards uh, changing our mindset. Yes, I, I'm, I really like your point around that that change from teacher centred to learner centred. I mean, people, younger teachers may not remember, but in 2001, that was that was really very yes. significant, wasn't it? Mm. Uh, thank you for that. What, um, what, what do you think the challenges in 2001 were in relation to the introduction of the CEFA? Mm -hmm. 
I think uh, we probably at that time, if I may recall this, didn't really know the challenges. I think, but uh, again, reflecting on the on the process, I would say changing our mindset, because I remember our initial reaction to the first publication. Oh, it's just a system of you know of levels. They're just descriptors. We didn't we didn't even bother to look at those that went with particular skills. We just looked at the global ones, and we thought that it would be just a matching task. You know that you put together pre-intermediate with A2, B2 with upper intermediate. It was quite superficial, and I think it required a lot of time, a lot of effort, awareness raising, training. Uh, development of guides and uh, resources. And I think it was the real milestone was uh, when publishers started aligning course content to the CFR, but it actually took quite a long time. So changing the way we looked at what we do and what the CFR was really about, I think at that time was the biggest challenge. And if I may give an example of uh, uh, equals accreditation. When we first introduced uh, the concept of descriptors into our inspection scheme, it was just a recommendation. And we quite readily, I remembered very well, accepted the fact that schools had a dual system of levels. That was good enough at that stage. And then as time went by, uh, with training, with development of resources, we changed the status of this to a requirement. And now what we really look at is how it really sort of is incorporated in a whole process where the programs are aligned to the CFR, where the learning uh, objectives are expressed as kind of statements, whether it actually filters through to the classroom, the teachers discuss the learning outcomes with the students, and that's uh, when assessment is done, let it be formative, summative, it's also related to the learning outcomes as stated in course programs. We have gone a long way at equals as well. Yes, it's been a real sort of process of development, hasn't it, for, for yeah. everybody? Um, we, we, could you comment on on um, on uh, the, the SEPA in relation to quality and the teachers and teaching? I think that uh, the 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 shift from teaching objectives mm. that if you put in your lesson aims that you'd like to introduce simple past, this is your teaching objective as a teacher. But for your students is so that at some point they will be able to talk about, write about uh, their past experiences. So I think that this is what we uh, when we assess teaching as equals inspectors, auditors, put it this way. We look at uh, how what the teachers do in the classroom relates to what this, uh, the, the needs of the students, because I think the big emphasis uh, in the CFR especially in the uh, latest publications, 2018, 2020, is the yeah. emphasis on the changing needs of the students. And I think this is one of the biggest challenges. The challenges for language teaching operations, how you respond to uh, the changing needs of the learners, how you respond to evolving uh, broader educational environments as well. And this should actually uh, inform quality assurance. Uh, and uh, this is... Uh, when I, I mean, at the end of the day, you could say the quality assurance is about reviewing uh, processes, reviewing procedures, reviewing programs, assessment, etc. But I think it's important that it actually gets out of this box and looks at the overall development of an institution as well uh, at all levels, the level of teachers, the level of students, the level of all other aspects of the activities. 
How, how well, Luca, would you say the CEFA has actually um, become known by learners? Oh, well, uh, the, I would say that we still have a long way to go. It is, uh, it is up to us, I mean, institutions that provide uh, language training to discuss it with students, to make them aware of, of what it is, uh, to raise the awareness that what we're doing in the classroom, we're doing it not because we've got in the programme, but the programme says that we should be able to teach you this and that, and you will be able to use the language for these particular reasons. I think that we still need to educate uh, both the, the teachers and the learners as well. And this is one of the things that we look at when we inspect schools uh, as equals. Obviously, it varies. It depends on the language. It depends on the student's level. It has to be adapted to the uh, linguistic competence, to the age as well. Mm, you wouldn't yes. actually start with, you know, learning outcomes uh, worded in a sophisticated way when you've got young learners or students at A1 level. Yes, absolutely. I mean, I know I know sometimes when when learners are being sponsored or funded, you know, by 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 their company or their employers or indeed by maybe not so much their governments, they might be more familiar, but certainly by um, by uh, their employers that when they when they talk about their language level and their competences mm -hmm. in relation to the common european framework that can cause some sort of consternation on the part of the employer or the sponsor but the cfr and the descriptors especially the the, the new additions actually make it easier for us in a way to formulate what we want our learners uh, to to achieve and I think also one of the biggest challenges for the teachers is that, uh, and for us as those who look at the quality of the delivery, is not to look so much at what kind of teaching is going on, but about what kind of learning is happening. Yes, because that's right. what it is important at the end of the day. Yes, absolutely. That's such that's that's the key point, really, isn't it? Absolutely. Um, you you mentioned the the companion volume, the 2018-2020 uh, sort of. Uh, well, it's more than an update, but um, if it, in some ways new edition of the Common European Framework. What what impact do you think that's had on quality assurance? I think that uh, it's sort of you know redefined the way we look at uh, the role of uh, language education in a, in a broader context. If you think that it also redefined the definition of the learner, who is now perceived more as a sort of you know, social um, agent, which uses his or her prolingual, cultural competencies uh, in interaction, mediation, online collaboration. I think it is, uh, well, it's a big word uh, to use, but I think it's another new era uh, in what we do in, in language education, the whole concept of uh, plurilingualism, pluriculturalism, um, functioning across borders, I mean, mentally and physically. Uh, I think uh, this, this, I mean, the 2020 actually redefined our educational values, uh, looked at, you know, how we respond to all these social uh, changes around us, economic changes as well. I think that uh, it actually, and I think the biggest challenge now is for us to understand the implications and to, in a way, go beyond what is there, to translate this in what we do with our students in the classroom.
Yes, thank you. And I suppose, I mean, just thinking about particularly 2019-2020, you know, the impact of COVID on language yeah. education as well, we, we, and and indeed, you know, the bringing in of online and digital uh, learning mm. more centrally into the uh, learning space, so to speak. Um, does does the CEFA have um, comment on that specifically in the co companion volume? I would say yes, in a sense, perhaps not directly. When we look at the experience of the pandemic, and yes, everybody was talking about this unprecedented transfer online, the scale, the timing and everything. When we talked to equals members at the beginning uh, of uh, 2020, they all said, oh, we are operating in a survival mode. What was quite interesting that towards the end of 2020, they started talking about opportunities the pandemic right. generated, right? Uh, they said, okay, we know what it means to uh, manage change. We know what it means to manage crisis. We understand the value of resistance, solidarity, etc. But they also talked about, you know, what will be the sustainable takeaways from the experience? And I think there were two key concepts, which is adaptability, there's no doubt about this, but also innovation. How many institutions took the time to revisit the wonderful strategies for development. They never had the time to look at uh, before the pandemic because they were dealing with increasing student numbers, you know, and the business as usual type of thing. And to see, okay, this is, that's the way we used to do things. Perhaps we can take it a step further. And I think these are the, the two most valuable takeaways from the uh, pandemic experience. And if we, if we look at the CFR, I, this is the way I see it. There are also two fundamental concepts behind it. It's innovation and it's adaptability as well. I think the 2020 volume in particular, with the extended descriptors for online uh, communication, the descriptors for young learners, which were developed by the Eurocenters, uh, the sign language, uh, the extension of levels, etc. They set a framework for, uh, for us, for the whole sort of, you know, uh, educational sector. Uh, the, they defined in broader terms the educational environment. And I think in this way, the CFR will continue developing. How we translate this into QA practices, I think that that's a, I think we also need to get out of this box that QA is not only about reviewing, QA is about uh, reflecting on things uh, and seeing how it sort of cascades to everyone within, uh, within the organization. So uh, there is still, you know, a lot to learn about how how QA functions in a in an institution. If I if I look at the example of equals accreditation, we've always had a separate category that covered it. But I think that uh, for quite some time it was good enough if schools had some kind of uh, you know system to gather feedback from students, perhaps some input from staff. This is not good enough nowadays. So what we really want to see is how it informs development. What you do with this. Uh, what, uh, what are the conclusions from what you see in the classroom, from what the students say, uh, the views from your staff, how it actually feeds back to changes and improvement. We, this is what we look for, for a tangible, if you want, developmental or enhancement plan. And this is, I think these are some of the takeaways from the CFR as well. 
Yes, thank you. I think that's really interesting. I really like, like that point about that shift from QA looking at systems in place and and procedures, organisational procedures, to really something more profound, i.e. the sort of reflection leading for, leading uh, to quality enhancement and quality improvement. Yes, absolutely. And I think uh, I think that's that's really a point well made. And you'd see that through maybe the companion volume too, because it's much more holistic isn't it than mm -hmm. uh, the 2000 the original volume um you've kind of talked about upcoming challenges for um language education and qa schemes and the and the cfr um how do you see the qa of language education evolving in the next five to ten years and and will the do you think the cfr the cfr will continue to play a role in that I think it will, because uh, I think it, it defines the framework for us. It's telling us that there is more to, to it than uh, just, you know, uh, the wonderful, you know, tools that we've got, like all the descriptors and levels, et cetera, that we should, uh, I think it should be an ongoing process to ask ourselves a question, why we do what we do, what we want to achieve, how well we adapt. I think that, I think the, the concept of QR, QA will gradually sort of depart from quality control because quality control is an only element of it. Uh, but this is, I mean, to to reduce QA to uh, quality control is not right uh, because that I think it it is about facilitating our development. It's about uh, a reflection process, which is which is so important. So if we think that. Uh, um, behind the concept of 2020 companion is uh, adaptability, innovation, plurilingualism, pluriculturalism. I think that we need to look at this in the in our QA practices as well. And in this way, I think that uh, uh, the CFR will sort of you know feedback to what we do. And um, I'm sort of looking forward to another uh, you know companion volume. Yes, in, in five or ten years' time. Yes, so well, exactly, yes. <laughs> you, you've touched on the principles of the CEFA, you know, the plurilingualism, pluriculturalism, that relationship with, you know, um, communication sort of promoting mutual understanding of difference and all that sort of thing. Would you, would you like to comment a bit more on that, maybe as our, our final question? I think that we actually tried to address this in our accreditation scheme as well. You know, what you do in the, in, in the classroom with the students. Uh, well, we deal with institutions that uh, work with monolingual groups uh, of students, but uh, to a great extent, uh, most of our members would have a prolingual groups, multilingual, different cultures as well. I think I think this is perhaps one of the most difficult things, and it is the one of the biggest challenges. And uh, if you put this in a broader context at the moment, what we're going through globally and in Europe in particular, how important it, it is that part of what we do in the classroom, teaching the language, we not only teach the language, we teach certain values and principles behind it. Uh, we teach a certain attitude. We talk about flexibility, we talk about tolerance, uh, we talk about openness. Uh, I think this is, uh, I think it seems to me that it has become more and more important. And I think that we started recognizing it more and more. Uh, but uh, I think the biggest challenge is how to convert all these wonderful concepts into what 
teachers do in the classroom, what kind of resources they use, how they communicate yes. this to the students. I really love that answer, Ludka, because I often think about, particularly when I look at the companion volume, I think about the role in the a key role that the CEFA has in um, advocating, you know, the development of responsible citizens yes. and sort of mm -hmm. ethical behaviour and yeah. all, all that side of things, which, as you quite rightly say, is so important. And we're really aware of that importance of mutual understanding and appreciation of difference, particularly particularly um, when we look at, at Europe the, at the moment. Mm -hmm. Yes, thank, thank you so much for talking to us. I think that's been a really um, very insightful conversation and I know anybody listening is going to have all sorts, it's going to spark all sorts of ideas and, and thoughts as a consequence. Thank you so much.